0: today I hope to finish off chapter 23 of the book of Matthew as we make our way systematically through God's Word. Uh, you know, I'm really getting excited. Uh, not that not that God's Word is not always exciting, but just getting excited for the uh, next few chapters that we're going to be coming uh, uh, across. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, and we're going to talk about some uh, prophetic events, things that are still yet to come. Exciting to always look at prophecy, and then as it just culminates into uh, the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the, and the blessing of uh, of that uh, incredibly difficult uh, moment, but a, uh, an incredibly uh, awesome moment as well. Uh, so, just looking forward to continuing through the Word of God with you guys. Okay. All right. And I do want to encourage you guys. You know, one of the blessings of, of kind of going systematically is you pretty much know where I'm going to teach next week. So uh, I want to encourage you guys to be reading ahead uh, and praying and asking God, God, what are you showing to me? And, and that way when we meet together on Sunday morning, it, it's not so much a, a revelation of something new, but it's a confirmation of, of something that God's already been ministering to your heart. So I want to encourage you guys to be reading ahead through the week if you don't already. Okay? Well, last. Last week we covered the first 12 verses of chapter 23, Um, and Jesus, he had turned his attention to the multitudes and uh, his disciples, and he was speaking to them, although he was speaking to the multitudes and his disciples, the topic of conversation was upon the scribes and Pharisees. And he didn't have very many uh, good things to say about the religious leaders, and and today's going to be more of the same. In our text this morning, we're going to hear eight different woes that uh, Jesus directed towards the scribes and Pharisees, okay? Uh, you know, the, uh, the main theme Jesus is going to address with the scribes and Pharisees is their hypocrisy, okay? Uh, actually, the, the theme or the word or uh, form of that word hypocrisy is mentioned eight times, uh, in our text uh, this morning, and so it's definitely uh, the main theme of what Jesus is directing his comments towards. And we call it hypocrisy. It, it speaks of a, of a stage actor okay? uh, uh, playing a role or playing a part. Okay? It speaks of wearing a mask okay? and trying to look or act like something you are not, and that is the accusation that Jesus has towards the scribes and Pharisees they are playing a part they are like an actor wearing a mask on stage pretending to be something that they in fact are not the scribes and Pharisees, they were seen as religious leaders amongst the Jewish nation. And there was a certain expectation of godliness and righteousness that was to accompany them. They were representative of the Lord and His kingdom, or at least they were supposed to be representative of the Lord and His kingdom. The phrase, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, was mentioned seven times in this morning's portion. The same phrase over and over and over again in verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 23 and verse 25 and again, finally, in verse 27. He says this same phrase, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, And then he says, for you do, and he gives examples of their hypocrisy. You know, the word woe is a word that can be used in connection to judgment. Previously, Jesus, uh, we've read before of the woes that he shared on certain cities okay, of judgment. He's saying, if if the works that had been done in you would have been done in places like Tyre and Sidon or in Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they would have repented long ago. And so he pronounces a woe, a judgment upon those places. However, the, the word woe can also be used as an expression of great sorrow okay, or grief or anguish. And I think that both of these could be what Jesus was expressing in His words to these religious leaders. And so we're going to get into the text here. And instead of trying to read the whole entire 13 all the way through 39, I thought we would just start with the opening verse just to get us going. So we stand there as we read the opening verse. We're going to go woe by woe, and see um, see what the Lord was saying and what He's saying to us today as well. So. so This one verse will start us off. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Jesus continuing to speak, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you set up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds, our ears, to receive all that you have for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, I know that you're here within us uh, as we were worshiping. Lord, just uh, blessed to have you here. And we pray that you continue to minister to our hearts through. The teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth. Lord, as it talks about being sharper than any double-edged sword, that it would cut to where we need to be cut. Lord, that it would uh, do the necessary work that you desire for it to do in our lives. Father, we pray that we would uh, understand not only uh, intellectually of what's going on here, but Lord, that we would make application into our own lives. Lord, that we would not leave this place without having heard from you and allowing you to minister to us and continue to do that work that you began in us. And we do thank you for the promise of your word that tells us that you're faithful to complete that work that you began in us. And so, Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you today uh, as pieces of molds of clay that have been shaped through the years. For some, we've been on the the stool for a a while and you've been shaping us for a while. For some of us, we're, we're fresh on the school. Lord, we are confident that you have a work in store for each and every one of us. And so give to us an anticipation and an excitement and an expectation that you're going to speak to us this morning. We look forward to what you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And so what we'll do is we will look at each of these woes and we'll highlight basically the overall um, context, the overall theme or idea of Jesus' accusation. We'll look to see how it might apply to us today as well. And so uh, looking here at this first woe that Jesus proclaims towards the scribes and Pharisees, it involves access to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, We... Jesus declared that the scribes and Pharisees, they shut up the kingdom of heaven against them. They prevented people from entering into the kingdom of heaven. How did they do this? How did they prevent people from entering the kingdom of heaven? Well, Luke chapter 11, verse 52 tells us that the the lawyers, uh, which were among the Pharisees and with the scribes, they were uh, experts in the Mosaic law. these lawyers had taken away the key of knowledge. We might want to ask ourselves, "What's the key of knowledge?" Uh, you know, the scribes and Pharisees—they were keepers of the word of God. They were entrusted, uh, the scribes, with with copying uh, the scrolls and and making available the Word of God to the people. They were given the responsibility of properly instructing people in the Word of God. They were seen as the God-ordained authorities of the Word of God. They served as mediators between God and God's people. Like the priest of the Old Testament of which Malachi wrote, the lips of the priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. They held the key of knowledge, the Word of God. They were entrusted with it. They were given that responsibility. But what did they do with it? They took it away. Mark chapter 7 verse 13 tells us that they made the Word of God of no effect through their tradition, which they handed down, their man-made regulations and rituals. Through uh, there are many man-made traditions. They have taken away the key of knowledge. They had taken away the word of God and they have replaced it with a man-made system of rules and regulations, traditions and rituals. Because they emphasize their man made traditions over the Word of God, Jesus accurately declared they neither go in themselves nor allow others to enter in through, uh, though they try. The tradition, these rules and regulations were like roadblocks. They were like detours that led people away from the kingdom of heaven rather than leading them into the kingdom of heaven. Each of these woes, each of these pronouncements of woe, as I mentioned, I believe there's something that we can learn from as well. From this woe, we realize the fact that what we do and what we say has the potential to hinder people from knowing God or facilitating people to know God. What we do, our words, our deeds, they can either push people away from God or they can encourage a, a desire, an appetite for God, to know God. And so I think the uh, the application for us is a, is a simple one. Well, let us be uh, a people that, with both our words and our actions, we incite people uh, in in people a desire for God and for the things of God. Sometimes we may have come across some Christians that just are like that. They're very attractive. Their walk with the Lord, the the things that they say, it, you, you see that and you're like, I want that. Okay? I don't know, what, you know, as non-believers, oftentimes you hear the people say, I saw this person, I saw the way they lived their life, and I didn't know what it was, but I wanted it. And, and that's what it is here right? this idea of our words and our deeds encouraging people to enter into the kingdom of heaven to have a desire and appetite and scribes and therapies hey, their words and their deeds it pushes people away from the kingdom of heaven and we don't want to do that we don't want people to look at our life and say I don't want anything to do with that if that's what, what walking with the Lord is all about or if that's what Christianity is all about, you know, I, I don't want it. And so we realize the impact our words and our deeds can have. And I want to encourage us to be people that are encouraging people to be excited about the Lord and the things of the Lord. Let's look at this next row, verse 14. Jesus continues and says, are you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for so you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers wherefore you will receive greater condemnation. This second woe, uh, Jesus spoke, uh, the describes in Pharisees treatment of the vulnerable Okay. Now, I know some of your Bibles don't have a verse 14 in them. Okay. Some of you are kind of looking around like this. Okay, I, I know that some of your Bibles don't have verse 14, and if you look in the footnotes or in the cross-reference section of a lot of your Bibles that have that, you'll probably see something that says some of these manuscripts have uh, uh, this verse in it. Okay. And, and we've covered this before previously in Bible studies on uh, Sunday morning in detail uh, about why some Bible translations have certain verses, and while others, uh, certain others don't, and so we won't go into the details, uh, but basically the basic idea here is that um, a Bible that may not have verse 14 in it is based upon uh, the manuscripts that the translation comes from, and so some of the manuscripts don't have verse 14 in it, okay? We do know Jesus did say this statement, okay? Uh, this the, the question is whether or not he said it here in this immediate context. Uh, the Bibles that do not have verse 14 of Matthew chapter 23 still have within them Mark chapter 12 verse 40 and Luke chapter 20 verse 47 that describe the very same allegations that that Jesus shares here in verse 14 of Matthew 23. And so it's not a matter of Jesus really didn't say this, it's just a matter of some man should say, now he didn't say it in this context, but some of them say yes, he did say it here. So, uh, let's look at what Jesus did say. When Jesus said they devour widows' houses, he was accusing them of taking advantage of widows in their time of need. You know, the law of Moses specifically spoke out against such practices. In Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24, the Lord spoke through Moses a very severe warning about any that would afflict a widow or fatherless child. He wrote, if you afflict them in any way and they cry out, excuse me, they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword, your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. A very severe warning of consequences to come for those that would uh, afflict the widows or the orphans, the fatherless. Evidently, these scribes and Pharisees didn't believe God's Word, or they just simply didn't fear God's hand against them, for they did exactly what they were instructed not to do. It seems that they would come and they would offer long-winded prayers as a show of their zeal and piety, and then they would ask widows to make charitable donations towards the ministry. Presumably, obviously, uh, skill games, we'll say, uh, lining their pockets. Instead of praying for the widows, these men were praying on the widows. They didn't seek to care for these widows in their time of need. They wanted to rip them off. Unfortunately, this is something that happens still today. You know, the elderly are often taken advantage of and swindled by smooth talkers that promise all sorts of blessings or returns upon their investments. Elderly people have been robbed of their entire life savings by hypocrites and swindlers. And it's a terrible thing that happens. Jesus said that they will receive greater condemnation for this type of behavior. Luke 12 actually explains the situation where a servant that knew his master's will and did not do it, that how he will be beaten with many stripes. But a servant that did not know yet did things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. And in verse 48, he explains the principle in this. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Paul declares in his letter to James, My brethren, let not many of you be common teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment as Teachers and those that have been entrusted with so much, much will be required of them. They will receive greater condemnation for their deceit and for their manipulation. From this will I think an obvious application is that we should follow the principle laid out for us in James chapter one, verse twenty-seven. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father exists to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We need to be those that are, that are sympathetic and caring towards those that come across hard times. We shouldn't look to exploit those that are experiencing trouble, but look to support and comfort them with the love of God. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open for opportunities, to bless those that are suffering, to share the love and hope that we have in Jesus Christ, not because you want to get something out of it. We don't do it because we're looking to get something, but simply because it's the godly thing to do. To share the love of Christ. To, to have eyes to see those who are in pain, those who are struggling, those who are going through tough times, those who are in trouble, and to come alongside them, and instead of exploiting them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to lift up their head, to lift up their hands, to be a, a shoulder to cry upon. There's so many different ways we can come alongside those who are experiencing tough times and encourage them and I want to encourage you guys to be that type of person, to have eyes to see the hurt, and to be willing to extend yourself towards them, and to be a blessing. Let's read this next verse, verse 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. In verse 15, Jesus pronounces his third woe. This woe deals with the practice of misleading converts. Okay. The, the word proselyte is not a word that we use every day. I think most of you probably know what it is. But a proselyte was a, a Gentile who, through a conversion, committed himself or herself uh, to uh, the, the practice of the Jewish law, uh, exclusive devotion to Yahweh, and integration into the Jewish community. And so it's like as if they were born a, a Jew, or they would be became and accepted, the, the the law, the God, the community, everything about it, that would be a, a proselyte, okay? Uh, today we, we call people like that a convert. Okay, they change from, you know, a religious system or no religious system into uh, a religious system and so we use a generic term like a convert. Oh, he's a convert to this type of faith, okay? Jesus did not condemn their zeal in seeking after converts. Only the end product. I mean, there was nothing wrong with them going, traveling land and sea to, to seek out proselytes. The problem was how they ended up, what the influence was, what the end product was on these people. The scribes and Pharisees would travel far and wide to seek after one individual, that they would turn from their ways and follow after them. You see, and, and therein lies the problem. They taught the people to follow in their own ways rather than in the ways of God. We discipled people into following their tradition uh, of man and made them uh, commit to the strictest adherence to their rules and rituals. And the end product was that they became twice as bad as the scribes and Pharisees. You know, they often say, like, uh, uh, the pupil surpasses the teacher. When you give, uh, you're discipling someone, they, they grab hold of something, they can often go even further than you. And that's a good thing in the right context. But these guys made became worse than the Pharisees, worse than the scribes, uh, because of the influence that these Pharisees and scribes had over them. Jesus referred to the scribes and Pharisees as sons of hell. Hey, those are some strong words. Okay? Uh, this was the equivalent of call, calling them a, a child of the devil. Okay? Warren Ridley in his commentary said that a child of the devil is a person who has rejected God's way of salvation, righteousness through faith in Christ, and this person parades his own self-righteousness through whatever religious system he belongs to. Now I feel like evidence of this still happening is all around us. People that are going to great lengths to get people to follow in their own self-righteous religious system. I don't know. the I'll just say this. I, you know, I live out in town. And and I have people coming and and knocking on my door and wanting to do Bible studies with me and trying to uh, get me to follow their ways and their faith, the the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. You probably don't have that on base, right? Uh, You don't have to worry about that. Maybe if you live out in town, though, you may have had that happen. And I believe we see that this very thing exemplifies prominently today through the Mormons and Jehovah's (laughs) Witnesses. Most would describe them as courageous and zealous messengers. The problem, however, is that they have a false message. They don't lead people to God, they lead people into their religious system that makes them worse off than they were before. With a new convert, they they go around you see them they go around and they perpetrate the lies that they are told and they spread that false message what do we learn from this woe? Well, we need to be careful about those that would try to lead us astray into their false religious systems. I think that's an obvious application. Be on your guard. Be well equipped. Be ready to give an answer for when those knocks on the doors come. And they say, hey, you want to have a Bible study? And we're Christians too. And uh, it's like, Woo! Your flag's going to go up. You know, those like red flags. Like, warning, you know, the light goes up. Beep, beep, beep. That's what needs to happen. Okay but I think there's something even for us as a body to take note of and I think we need to be careful that when we reach out to people our desire is to make them followers of Christ and not of man okay you know I think sometimes you can be zealous for maybe a certain speaker our favorite pastor we have uh, certain blogs that we read or certain um, uh, what do you call those things you download them and listen to them podcasts thank you thank you podcasts of our favorite people that we like to listen to uh, and we have a certain church that we just think is great or a certain denomination a certain movement and we're more interested in getting people plugged to a person or to a work of the Lord, then we are the Lord Himself. And, and let me explain here. You know, I believe, honestly, that God is at work here in Iwakuni. Okay? And I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to be part of this church body, and I'm excited to see what God's doing in and through us. Okay? But I hope you understand that my goal, that our goal, is not to have everyone come to Calvary Chapel and to turn everyone into Calvary Chapel life or something like that. We, We are doing our best to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, to honor the Lord here And I trust that they're doing the same at Case Baptist and at Ross Point and at the Base Chapel, that we're all doing our best to serve the Lord, to honor Him, to love Him. And we're not here to build Calvary Chapel Kingdom. We're here to build and be a part of God's kingdom. And we're just one part of it. And i am excited for you guys to be here and to be a part of it. But please don't get the mindset of the thought that God only works. You know, here and God's not working in these other places because He is and He's doing different things in different parts of the body and that's okay, we all can't be eyes we all can't be feet we're not here to build Calvary Chapel kingdom we're here to build the Lord's kingdom we don't want to get ourselves focused into a system or into a church and make that more of a priority than just a simple obedience to God and serving and plugging in where God calls me. And so I hope you understand our heart. And I think that within this, we see uh, that this could be a context for us. See? Okay? That you know, these, these people were very zealous to bring people in. See? Okay? But they brought them into a, a system. They didn't really bring them to the Lord. And our emphasis is to bring people to the Lord. And, and I hope that, you know, I believe that the Lord's here. So, you know, bringing people here is a good thing. But I hope that makes sense to you guys. Let's read this next row, verses 16 through 22. He says, "Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged, speaking, obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. This fourth woe deals with the scribes and Pharisees' false and deceptive oaths that they would make. Jesus gave two different examples of how they used false and deceptive oaths that didn't make any sense at all. He spoke of how they would swear by the temple, or they would swear by the altar, and then it didn't mean anything. They didn't have to keep it if they swore by the temple or swore by the altar. It was basically a way to, to make a promise but not to have to keep it, okay? You know, like when we did when we were kids, kid, we, we would make a promise but we would keep our fingers crossed behind our back, right? Okay? And our thinking was that because we did this, because we had our fingers crossed, that the promise that we made, it was not a binding promise. We didn't have to keep the promise because we had crosses, you know, like I crossed my finger, I could could do whatever I want as long as I had my fingers crossed. And and that was the mindset. That was the game that that these guys had, had built, okay? You know, I'm a bit embarrassed to say this, but growing up as a kid, my friends and I, we had uh, created our own little oath system for us. Okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, I do want to say, keep in mind that I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up going uh, knowing the no Lord. But I did have one friend that was a, a church attendee. And he used to tell us that if we swear to God, okay, which I I know was wrong. I'm not trying to advocate that. But if we swear to God that it had to be the truth, you know, that no matter what you're saying, you swear to God, yeah, okay, that's for sure. Uh, You know, and so uh, in order to really uh, tell when someone wasn't playing around or they weren't joking with you, we say, do you swear to God? you know and and, uh, and, you know it's interesting that even though most of us didn't go to church or have any sort of relationship with the Lord we felt it wasn't good to swear to God and then lie something within us just said you know we better not do that but we would get creative at times, okay? When trying to pull one over on each other, we'd say, "Oh, I swear to God!" Or we, you know, we'll be, you know, we, we'll or I swear to God, or a dog, or just about anything that started with the da sound and then mumble the last part as a means to try and tr- trick our friends. Oh yeah, I swear to God! You know? Well, actually, you know, I, I, oh, what? And right? Right. so then we all said, "What did you say? What did you say?" We really get into it, you know. But but that's basically what these guys were doing. They had made up these games with this open. Oh, System where you know they can say one thing or, or, or do another, and as long as they said it in a certain way, that really didn't mean anything. But the promise was, you know, it really didn't, you can say whatever you want, so it's too costly, or because we swear to God that this is true, you know. Um, You know, he says, if you swear by the temple, uh, or their plan was, if you swear by the temple, it's no big deal. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you better be telling the truth, right? You better do what you're swearing to do, or if you you swear by the altar, it's no big deal. But if you swear by the gifts on the altar, whoo, that was some serious business. (laughs) Jesus pointed out to them how foolish their thinking was, how foolish their system of, of oaths was. Which is the very thing that, that made the gold special or, or the gift special was that it was in the temple and that it was on the altar. The temple and the altar was what made those things special. And so to, to swear by the things that gave to it, to it its value and then say that it was no big deal, that was to foolish. It didn't make any sense. He called them fools and blind. They were too blind and foolish to notice how ludicrous their very own oath system was. And Jesus then called them out regarding their oath. That oath that you say is no big deal. It isn't binding. It is. When you swear by the altar, you swear by it and by everything on it. Jesus said when you swear by the temple you swear by it and by God who dwells in it when you swear by heaven you swear by the throne of God and by him who sits on it Jesus was was not here uh, encouraging them to revamp their system of oaths to to find a better way to swear he was warning them of the power of their word and the commitment That they make. That just because they said it wasn't binding doesn't mean that's how God sees it. This woe leads us to follow the instruction Jesus gave during the Sermon on the Mount. It's the application that we learn from this. In Matthew chapter 5, regarding oaths, specifically Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 34 through 37, he said, Do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is, it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white right or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Hey, the application is very simple for us. Don't, don't swear by anything. Be a man or, or a woman of your word. When you say yes, that means yes. You don't have to add something on to it to make it for sure yes. Your yes is yes. Your no is no. Be people. Be a man. Be a woman of your word. don't need to make oaths. When we are people of our word. You know, uh, Pastor Rick in Calvary Chapel, Okinawa, used to always share the illustration of this. And it's a little bit foreign to maybe uh, some of us, but we had a a team coming in to uh, do ministry, uh, and they were going to be staying at a hotel. There was actually a a band that was coming out, and so we had to make the reservations and things like that for them. And so uh, we called up the hotel, and we said, hey, we want to make this reservation. They said, okay, yeah, no problem. We got rooms, and we got it all squared away. We contacted the pastor back stateside and said, okay, it's all squared away. And he says, okay, do you have a reservation number for, for us? And he says, uh, no, I didn't get a reservation number. Let me call them back. And so Pastor Rick called them back, and he, he said, hey, I need to get a reservation number. And the guy was like, what's the reservation number? And he says, for us, I think in, in the U.S., we, we kind of, like, we know, we know that just because they say seven doesn't always mean that's what's going to happen, right? But in Japan, the guy said, The reservation number is my word. I said, you have the room. That's all you need. And that was it. Okay. And so we had to call everybody. No reservation number. We just got the man's word. And it's sad that, unfortunately, that's not how we operate a lot of times. That we have to have a reservation number. That we have to have something. Okay, well, you said yes, but I need something to prove that you really mean yes. It's unfortunate. It would be better if we just, when we said yes, this is how it's going to happen, well, that's what's going to happen. Let's look at this next row, verses 23 through 24. He says, Woe you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and you take tithes of mint and are mist and human and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out a mat and swallow a camel the fifth road Jesus proclaimed against the scribes and Pharisees involved their approach of majoring on the minors hmm? Jesus brought up the tithe. Okay? The tithe is something that actually predates even the law of Moses. And the, the Pharisees felt like they had mastered what it meant to tithe. Okay? To tithe means to give one tenth of your uh, harvest of the land and of the livestock and you would present it as holy to the Lord separated unto him and although we, we see examples of it before the law even uh, in the life of Abraham and Jacob it was also part of the law Leviticus and uh, spoke about the tithe and gave uh, uh, rules regarding the tithe and the scribes and Pharisees they were so meticulous in their tithe that they would even measure out the smallest spices and seeds and tithe them to the Lord. You know, again, it's interesting. Jesus does not condemn their efforts of tithing, even the smallest amount of produce, but rather their lack of attention on the weightier things, the more important things. Jesus said they neglected important things like justice and mercy and faith these things were major issues these are pillars of God's kingdom and they neglected them they altogether threw them out focusing so much upon the minors these tribes and Pharisees so focused on these minute little things they paid no attention to the major things you know obeying minute details and rules is not a replacement or a substitute for doing the major things you know, I think it's a matter of priorities, keeping them properly aligned. You know, and I fear that sometimes people can think this way even today. They can think, well, you know, I'm tithing every week and so, you know, I don't need to worry about doing anything else for the Lord. Uh, they think that... Uh, that uh, by obeying uh, certain rules or details that gives them a free pass so and not to have to really live for the Lord and say, well, I'm doing my part, you know, and on Sundays I go and I worship and then I tithe, you know, so that's good enough and I just live my life the way I want to live my life the other six days of the week. That's how it works. We need to be careful about that. Hmm? You know that, that, I think that often happens. This idea of measuring on the minors—it often happens with people that become legalistic. Hmm? Those that are legalistic—they pay tons of attention to the details, but they can oftentimes be blind to the great principles. Legalistic people will place all sorts of heavy burdens and pressure upon people to keep the finer details, but miss the fact that Jesus Himself said that His burden was light. We can be so quick to judge and condemn their fellow brother or sister in the Lord, but Paul tells us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave what, what certainly was meant to be an exaggeration of, of just how foolish their behavior looked to the Lord. He depicted them as straining out a gnat, which was an unclean urn cell, they weren't supposed to eat gnat, no. but swallowing an unclean camel the the largest of the unknown animals that was in that land and in that area they'd swallow a whole camel but they would strain out a nest it was absurd it was absurd to think that the picture that it presents, you know, they have, you know, some kind of cloth or a filter and they're straining their soup or their wine or their drink, making sure that not little tiny nests don't get in there so I don't inadvertently eat them, but at the same time they're swallowing camels whole. It's ridiculous. And that's what he's saying, You guys look so ridiculous. It looks so absurd what you're doing. It's so foolish. This is paying tithe on mint and and cumin and these spices. It was absurd when they neglected to be mindful of justice and mercy and faith. Now what do we take from this row? Jesus told us in the end of verse 23. He says, These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The things they did, they were incomplete. They did a good thing by tidying their spices, but they should have also taken care of the weightier things as well. I think the application for us is less major on the majors than minor on the minors. our, Our priorities need to be in the right order. The weightier things are done first, and then the lesser things are taken care of after that. And I do want to say, this is a side note, but I do want to emphasize that minoring on the minors does not mean we ignore the details. It doesn't mean that we pay uh, no attention to details. It, It just means that they take a back seat to getting the majors taken care of. He, he encouraged them, hey, you should, yeah, hide in the mid, that's great, but <laughs> do this. You, know, you should have done that and, and still done this, too. And so, okay, you know, we major on the majors, we minor on the minors, you know, we, we still pay attention to the minors. We don't just neglect them and say, oh, okay, all I have to do is the major thing, but I don't have to worry about the minor thing. That's not it either. Let's read this next verse, 25 and 26. Both you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. This sixth row deals with the scribes and Pharisees' actions towards purity and cleanliness. That word cleanse in verse 25, it speaks not just of a uh, of a normal washing or cleaning clean of dishes. Okay, uh, It speaks of the purification process used to, sanct- to sanctify something for the Lord and for His service. The scribes and Pharisees, they had all sorts of ceremonial cleansing, what they would do as an outward demonstration of their purity. Mark 7 4 tells us when they, they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. I, mean, I don't I don't know why couch was put them in there. It kind of was a little bit weird. Jesus noted how how their ceremonial ceremonial washing But, but it only cleansed the outside and that the inside was still full of extortion. It was still full of self indulgence, or your Bible translation may say unrighteousness. The ceremonial washing did nothing to bring cleansing or purity to the inside. And because of the impurity on the inside, it didn't matter how good the outside actions look. You know, my boys have been doing the ditches more regularly as of of late. Uh, And and we really appreciate uh, their effort to help out around the house. Um, Sometimes, however, they they miss a a few things. and I'm always concerned, you know, if we have company coming over and the boys have been doing the dishes lately, I'm always like, look at every single dish before we put it out, right? Because uh, you know There might be a little leftover or a little remnant. They, boys are not meticulous in doing their dishes. I, yeah, see, I got a head nod over here. Yeah. And, and so we see me and my boys, they, they do a pretty good job of keeping the outside of the dishes clean but it's the inside that touches the food and the drink or whatever you're putting into it. And, you know, it doesn't matter how clean the outside of a dish or cup looks. It can be polished up and sparkling new. But if it still has food particles on the inside of it, it's a dirty dish. And this is how I picture what Jesus is saying to them. You've got all sorts of outward actions that look good, But the inside is full of robbery, full of extortion, full of unrighteousness. The outside of the bowl looks nice, but there's food particles still on the inside. The remedy, according to Jesus, was to first take care of the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. The idea Jesus explains is that cleansing comes from within, and it works its way out not the other way around. We don't clean up the outside in hopes that it will clean up the inside. We clean up, allow the Lord to clean up the inside and it has an effect upon the outside. It works its way from the inside out. God works on the inner man first and eventually the outer man will match what's on the inside. know, the lesson that we learn here is that we need to let God work in our inner man, or our inner woman. God is concerned with the heart. Who you and I are on the inside. We need to let God work from the inside out in our lives. The outer actions we do, they don't impress God. He sees through them and He looks right at the heart knowing that if He can get to our heart and touch that the rest will fall in place. We need to open up our heart to the Lord and let Him do that work that He desires to do from the inside and allow it to mold and shape us into a beautiful thing on the outside as well. Let's continue, verse 27 and 28. A similar woe. He says, "Well, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." The seventh woe is very similar to the previous woe. Both speak about external purification and cleanliness. The sixth woe focused upon actions that affected the outside. This woe deals specifically with appearances of the outside. Jesus likened the scribes and Pharisees to whitewashed tombs, which appear beautifully outward but are filled with nothing but dead men's bones you know, this description for me so easily comes to life having lived in Okinawa for uh, over 10 plus years you know, I haven't specifically noticed um, uh, here in Iwakim, but in Okinawa there are a very elaborate family tunes that, uh, that they can really look really nice uh, elaborate and you like, wow, that's fancy um, If you've ever been to Okinawa, you've probably oh yeah, I've seen that. I don't think I've seen them here. I I know there's different, uh, but not to the extent of Okinawa. You know, some of them seem to be made of marble, almost. They look incredible. They can get quite lush. Uh, And I remember a couple different family tunes that they were in the shapes of of turtle shells on the back. Uh, Very elaborate designs. You know, uh, others look more like small apartments rather than tunes. I mean the size of them was incredible and usually once a year around April the families would go out to their chains their family chains and they'd start cleaning up all around and some of those chains those would just be sparkling they'd be like whoa look at that It would look really nice okay Every time I found myself looking upon some of those large family tombs that looked so nice, I was reminded of this description Jesus gave about the scribes and Pharisees. They look real nice on the outside, but they are dead on the inside. Jesus said that they outwardly appeared righteous to men. Recall that Jesus told us at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 23, uh, we covered it last week, that they did all of their works to be seen by men. Uh, They wanted to have the appearance of righteousness to the people. And again, God saw through their outward appearances and saw what was on the inside, hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were filled with hypocrisy. They were pretending to be something they were not. They pretended to be zealous of, uh, for the law of the Lord when in reality they were filled with lawlessness. Uh, something that, I think something that we can take away from this world is a very simple lesson, and that's just to be you. Okay? We don't need to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't need to pretend to be more spiritual than we really are. Stop pretending. Be real with yourself and be real with others. Now, now don't be complacent or satisfied with being less than what God has called you to be. But but don't try to be something God hasn't called you to be at the same time. Be who you are. Be who God calls you to be. That's what God asks of us. We don't need to pretend to be something else or someone else. Be you. Don't be phony. Don't be a hypocrite. Verse 29 through 36 is last will i out of time here. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of to the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, fruit of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." This final woe pronounced against the scribes and Pharisees speaks of their treatment of the men of God that were sent to them. God had sent prophets throughout the history of Israel to help lead and guide them in the ways of the Lord, but oftentimes the people would not listen. They would not heed the voice of the prophets. Sometimes they would even stone and kill the prophets that God sent to them. These scribes and Pharisees, they were people that made great monuments out of the tombs of the prophets. They celebrated the prophets and seemed to to honor them in their sacrifice. They tried to distance themselves from the deeds of their fathers that had killed the prophets. And they claimed that if they were alive during the day, that they would not have killed the prophets. I, kind of like that's right. I if I was alive during the Jesus' day and I was the disciple, I wouldn't have turned from him. right? Uh, I don't know if anybody ever thought of that. Because I'm the only one. But, um, you know, these guys, they, we wouldn't have done that. And after saying that, Jesus took issue with them. He said, you are a witness against yourself. That you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. And what Jesus was saying is that their very words are going to be held against them. They claim that they wouldn't kill the prophets, and Jesus knows all too well what the holds and how this is going to play out. He tells them to go ahead and measure out their father's guilt. And when Jesus speaks of filling up, he's speaking of filling up a cup of wrath. And what he's doing is, is, is seeming to go along with their claim. Oh, okay, yeah, well, how how were your fathers? Let's measure that out. And as they're measuring it out, he's telling them to go ahead and fill up the cup of wrath that their fathers deserve for killing the prophets. And all the while, they are clueless to the fact that they are filling up their very own cup of wrath. In verse 33, Jesus informs them that the guilt they are measuring up will not be escapable for them. By their own word and by their own deeds, they are headed straight into the condemnation of hell. Now, in verses 34 through 36, they take a slight turn in direction, and Jesus speaks more prophetically of their future actions, Jesus said he was going to send more prophets, wise men, and scribes, and he foretold their abusive behavior that will have, uh, they will have with them. They will kill and crucify some and greatly persecute others. Jesus and many of the first century martyrs were killed as a result of their uh, rejection by the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 35 mentions the righteous blood that has been shed upon the earth, and he highlights two individuals, Abel and Zechariah. And interestingly, Abel is the first recorded martyr in the Old Testament scriptures in Genesis chapter 4, and Zechariah is the last one recorded in Second Chronicles 24. Because, if you know this? The Hebrew Bible is actually arranged so that it ends in Second Chronicles. That's the last book of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, Second. Chronicles. The way that they arrange their book is different than the way we arrange them. And so from the beginning to the end, okay, the, the picture is very clear. From Abel to Zechariah, from the first to the last. I even thought it's interesting. From A to Z, it fits one even within English. right? They will be held accountable for all the righteous blood that was shed upon the earth. You know, some of this judgment came when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. But I believe the rest of it will be suffered throughout eternity in hell, as it speaks up, or in verse 33. What do we learn from this final woe Jesus announces against the scribes and Pharisees? At the heart of this woe was the fact that the scribes and Pharisees claimed to honor the prophets, those that came before them, but in their real life they did not, and they would not, For us, if we claim to honor the Lord and speak favorably of Him, then we ought to make sure our claims are supported by our actions. That we would be people that boldly claim our love for the Lord, not only with our lips, but with our actions as well. That we would honor the Lord by the way we live our lives. Verse 37 through 39, we'll finish up here. Sorry, we're going to go a little late. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See where house left left you desolate, For I say to you, uh, you shall see me no more So you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here is where I see the sorrow and anguish of these roles that they were not pure just judgment. Okay? Jesus didn't conclude by saying, Now get out of here, you good for me. Nothing, rotten, phony. I don't want to see you ever again. And it's not how he concluded. He concluded with, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as him gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. David Music explained how this heartfelt cry it was evident that Jesus didn't hate these men that he rebuked so strongly. His heart was broken for these men. God responds in like manner with us as well. When we sin, God does not hate us. He genuinely sorrows for us because He knows that in every way our sin and rebellion are only destroying our life. And it causes great grief. And it causes great sorrow. My hope is that we would see people the way that the Lord sees people. That we would deeply sorrow for the lost humanity. Now when we look at people, we wouldn't be like judgmental and hey, yeah, that person's going to hell. But we would sorrow in our hearts, and our hearts would break, knowing that people are going to hell. And that we would allow that conviction, that sorrow to lead us to actions, to reach out to those people, to have that desire to to gather them in, to bring them in. That was the heart of the Lord. The, uh, that's the picture. Okay? The, the hen gathering her chicks under her wings, the safety and comfort felt by the chicks in the wings of their mother is like the safety and comfort that we feel in the wings of the Lord. Psalm 17, verse 8, David requests, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Jesus so desperately wanted to bring them in but they were not born. Jesus will not force himself upon anyone. He gives to each and every one of us a choice to come to him or to not. He loves you. He wants to bring you in, He wants to provide comfort and security, to provide forgiveness, and most importantly, to provide cleansing from the sin in our lives, to cleanse us from the inside out, but the choice is yours, and the choice was theirs. They chose poorly, and I hope that none here walk in their ways. And that all of you would find yourself in the comfort and security of a loving relationship with the Lord. You know, the very last verse of the chapter speaks of a prophetic event that's still yet to come. One day Israel will finally recognize their Messiah and they will declare, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We won't get into the details of that, but the next chapter, chapter 24, we're going to start looking at some of these prophetic events. And the disciples are going to start asking, "When is this going to happen?" And he's going to start giving us some details. So come back next week. Look forward to being with you. Let me close in prayer. Nick, I know it's late, but we're going to have you come back up and lead us in a closing song. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that uh, these uh, woes, Lord, they weren't just a condemnation, a judgment upon them, but they were a a piece of your heart that went out to these people that were lost that were blind, that were foolish, that they they should have known. And yet they they missed you. They missed out on you. They were not willing. Lord, I pray that no one here can be described in that manner. Lord, I pray that everyone here knows you. I pray that everyone here understands what it means to have a loving relationship with you and Lord that we would know Lord that when we sin and you don't hate us Lord your heart breaks for us Lord may our heart break for others that are lost and that we have a desire to reach out to them to have an impact upon their lives Thank you for your word Thank you for this body And and just the opportunity this morning To come and and spend time together We pray your blessings will continue to be upon us Throughout our day and throughout our week And we pray this in Jesus' name Amen